views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. evening and welcome to this broadcast of Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed. I'm broadcasting from behind the enemy lines of USA Inc. It is a Tuesday evening, just about one minute after 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern for those on the East Coast. Shout out to those wherever you are in the world listening to this live broadcast on this September the 25th, 2018. Um, not sure how long I'm going to be on air today. I'll tell you, um, oh man, I, I'm just having some trouble with our water pump here that I'm trying to fix, put a new pressure gauge on it and charge my tank with the proper uh, PSIs and it's just not working properly and it has me frustrated. So I need to take a break from that. Uh, plus I need to do this radio program I'm not sure how long I'm going to be on air tonight, at least an hour, but if need be, I will go over. If you have any questions or comments uh, that you would like to share concerning today's news, then you can give us a call at 704-802-5056. That's 704-802-5056. want to give a shout out to the new members of BTR Community Dot com. We just had a couple of new members sign up this week. Remember, please give me up to, uh, how long, 36 hours to add new members. I get a whole lot of emails, and I'm only one person, and I may not see them, you know, uh, that same day that you sign up for it, but I do try to get those added within the 36 hours um, it is a way that we fund our North Carolina-based nonprofit new media organization um, called Black Talk Media Project, which was created in 2008, uh, the same year that Black Talk Radio Network was created. And the reason this project was created is uh, mainly because of the lack of, of black radio, period, uh, especially in the terrestrial radio uh, we don't have too many stations that have news talk. We'll get plenty of entertainment. And I don't have anything against gospel music, but that's pretty much what dominates our terrestrial radio stations. If it's not, uh, this gangster rap, um, this degenerate music, you know, excuse me for being biased. I grew up during the golden age of hip hop. Or if it's not, you know, a gospel uh, music station, then we don't really have terrestrial radio. Um, thank goodness for whoever created the technology that gave us digital radio, which has a global reach and isn't limited 
like terrestrial radio, it's also not as expensive to operate. And, you know, I just found it as a solution to that problem of the uh, purposeful uh, killing off, selling off, uh, squeezing black terrestrial radio stations out of the markets. Uh, and that was a result of the 1996 Telecommunications Act. So uh, btrcommunity.com, our social media platform where you can use whatever username you want to use. You don't have to use your real name and what have you. We don't even show you any ads or anything. Although, you know, members are welcome to share whatever businesses they want want to promote. Um, but we don't show you any kind of ads or anything on that social network. Um, no, it's not a whole lot of us. It's, it's, it's a couple of hundred of us, but it's just really a few of us who are really active. I hope that changes in the future um, because it is a safer, more secure environment. You know, uh, today I was just feeling like one of the, it just one of those days where just social media is full of so many distractions, but you know, a lot of a good information is shared, but for the most part, it's a lot of distractions. It's a lot of, of stuff that I feel isn't constructive at all. Um, and then, you know, I don't have to worry about it right now, even though I did make my Facebook profile private and had them remove my name from the search engine where if you put my name in, it'll come up on Facebook or something like that. You know, if I was working on a plantation job um, for a corporation, which I have, you know, worked for many years in corporate America, then, you know, I probably wouldn't even be on Facebook because they monitor that type of stuff, man. It, it can cause you to lose a job. It can cause you uh, problems on the job because somebody don't like your politics or they don't like your religion or they just don't like, you know, um, the things that, that you discuss. So you had to be very careful in using uh, social media, especially Facebook. Um, but when it comes to Twitter, Twitter doesn't make you use your real name uh, although many people do, but you don't have to use your real name. So it's a little bit more safer in that regard. Um, but again, uh, black folks, listeners of this station said, hey, we need our own social media community two years ago. And so we built one and, you know, and we've been going on. We've been uh, handling our business there for the past two years. But again, this stuff does cost money. And that's why we charge a $24 a year uh, for subscription, uh, just $24 a year. That breaks down to $2 a month. And it, it's just a way for us to fund our operations without having to, you know, go seek grants and stuff from these different organizations that hand out that kind of money um, that might put strings on on, you know, those grants and what have you. Don't want to de be dependent on any outside force because when you become dependent on the outside force that can influence you and it will change your original mission so we want to remain independent and we certainly thank those who have enabled us to stay on uh, air not just the station but the platform the podcasting digital radio platform um, for these past 10 years it'll be 11 years in November which is not that far away 
um, yeah, November will be our 11-year anniversary. So that's a decade. That's a de- over a decade. I tell you, time really, really flies in. Just a special shout-out uh, to the context of white supremacy. They were the first uh, people to come to Black Talk Radio Network after they got kicked off of Blog Talk Radio. Uh, they, they found a home here at Black Talk Radio Network, and they've been with us all, all these years as well. So shout-out to them for the work that they put in in the broadcast that they do. Shout out to Gus. Um, Now, um, I got the main thing that I want to talk to you about. I want to take a listen. Earlier this morning, you know, I did, some of you know, I I engineer, do all the technical, you know, production for Tando Radio Show. And so, obviously, I'm going to be aware of what's being discussed on that program. And so, this morning, um, Dave, um, alerted us that, hey, Donald Trump is giving this speech at the UN, and he didn't catch it at the beginning, but, I mean, what what I heard was pretty disgusting, but I would say par for the course for a CEO for the corporation USA, Inc. And so I want to listen to that speech in its entirety and then break it down, just break it down and give you my thoughts and opinions on what is said and what's truth, what's not truth. And I'm talking about things we can verify, not opinions, you know. Um, but, yeah, we can take a listen to that. If anybody wants to comment, uh, certainly, you know, I welcome your commentary, uh, what you got from his speech this morning, if you heard it. Or, you know, you again, I will play the speech in its entirety. It was only like maybe 15 minutes long. Uh, So we'll listen to it in its entirety. But that's the main thing that I want to talk about because World War III is on the horizon, folks. I mean, we we literally are are possibly on the cusp of a giant uh, conflict that's going to cost a whole lot of lives. It's going to cost a whole lot of money. And we need to be paying attention to this. We really do, especially those of us who may have children or um, relative or friend who's in the military. And again, I can't say it enough. I just thank God that my uh, uh, daughter who was talking about going in the Air Force uh, heeded my advice and did not go in the Air Force. Um, so I don't want my children to be cannon fodder. But, you know, at the same time, like they mentioned this morning, um, they can reinstitute the draft, okay, anytime they get ready. They can institute the draft and force you to go unless, you know, you want to get out now and go to some other country, like many people did during the Vietnam War with the Canada, some with the Mexico, and what have you. But, I mean, this is very serious. It's very, very serious. And when it comes to black media, Sometimes I don't feel like we are getting the information that we need because of their business model. Number one, uh, most of the the mainstream black media is not even owned by black people. So, it you know, um, you need to take that in consideration. And then also, um, their corporate media, their corporate media, they're not going to engage heavily and stuff that might upset their sponsors. And we have to recognize that many of these corporations have entanglements and what have you and make money from war. 
Okay, they make money from war. Even industries that you wouldn't think make money from war make money. You know, I'm reminded when I was sitting over there in Saudi Arabia during the Gulf War. Um, I don't, I can't remember the name of the country. I mean, excuse me, the company. But there were Americans, and they had food trucks. I'm serious, y'all. They had food trucks that that they were operating in Saudi Arabia, and um. They, we was calling them Wolf Burgers or something like that. You know, that was a while ago. That was back in uh, the 1990s, early 1990s. So I, I don't remember the company's name. But yeah, uh, you'd be surprised who makes money off, off of war. Um, it, it, isn't always, it isn't always just the defense contractors and whatnot. So this is very serious. And I don't think it's being treated very serious. And then also someone pointed out to me, which is par for the course. It wasn't surprising, um, but they're saying that you know American-based media is spinning this uh, uh, war, this possible war, and not giving you all the facts and whatnot. But again, when I first started studying this industry, the news media industry, I was reading like even back in the fifties and sixties, um, at the beginning of mass media you know, the advent of television and what have you, and network executives saying that, you know, it's their patriotic duty to push propaganda, war propaganda to the American people and and basically lie to them. It's their patriotic duty to tell them whatever the U.S. government tells them to do. It's their duty to support the war effort. It's their patriotic duty, okay? It, it, it's not their duty to point out Hey, they're lying about why we're going to war in, in this and that. Now, of course, they're going to lay some truth in with their lies to make it more believable or what have you. But for the most part, I mean, we don't even have to go back to Vietnam. We can go back to um, um, 9-11 and after 9-11 and, and, you know, the reporting that got us into the war with Iraq, even though Iraq and Saddam Hussein had nothing to do with 9-11, um, you wouldn't have known that by reading the mainstream corporate uh, media. And so, you know, that's that's their job. That, that's basically their job. And Malcolm X, again, a big inspiration to me, um, someone I wish who was still around. Um, but, you know, he peeped that game a long time ago. He, you know, when he talked about media controlling the minds of the masses, when he talked about how um, the media, the American news media can make the American people hate who they want them to hate and love who they want them to hate. And they used the example of world, he used the example of World War II and say, hey, during the war, oh, yeah, the Russians and the Chinese are our friends, but after the war, Oh, now all of a sudden they flip a, flip a script, literally flip a script because they do read from tele, read scripts on teleprompters in corporate television and what have you. And they flip the script and now all of a sudden, oh, we supposed to hate the Russians and hate the Chinese. You know, hey, if something keeps working, why would they stop? And unfortunately, that, that seems to work, even though since, um, you know, the Internet has become so dominant and we have uh, access for the moment, for the moment we have access uh, to alternative voices to get alternative information, 
the people aren't so easily fooled and you have a lot of, you know, dissension in among the American people when it comes to these wars. Um, so I want to take a look at Donald Trump's, uh, listen to Donald Trump's speech. Uh, I do plan on taking notes. So let me make sure I have a pen handy. I'll, I'll find one uh, so I can take some notes. It's not very long, but I just want to take notes. Uh, also, in relation to that, you got uh, uh, this neocon Zionist uh, mass murderer. Um, I don't know if he's actually actually ever been in a position to vote for a war, but he's always pushing for war. Um, but he's deeply a Zionist and in the pocket of Israel. And that's John Bolton. That's John Bolton, George Bush's former UN ambassador. And he's now Donald Trump's national security advisor or in that cap. He's in the cabinet. I think that's what his job is. Yeah, that's his job. National White House national security advisor. And he made the ignorant comment. I'm not going to say it's ignorant because that would mean that he doesn't know what he's talking about. That means that he doesn't know what he's doing and he's operating out of ignorance. But he made he made the um, outlandish, incredulous statement that the U.S. troops will be staying in Syria until Iran leaves. And I'm like, you aren't welcome. U.S. troops have not been invited into Syria. You've been uh for a very long time, as I mentioned today on Tando Radio Show, trying to overthrow Syria's secular government. What is it that the United States hates about secular, non-religious governments like Libya or like Syria and, and, and uh, even Iraq? Even Iraq had a secular government where where people of all faiths were protected and allowed to worship and what have you. And for some reason, the United States seems to target those type of countries. But I know it's not because of the fact that they're secular countries, but it's because of the oil resources and, and other uh, political uh, political things, geopolitical things uh, that don't line up with their uh, agenda. Because the United States has always been about global domination and you'll hear that in Donald Trump's speech. He makes no bones about it. They got the right one, man. Um, and so for those people that claim that Donald Trump is some change, okay, yeah, he's changed just like Obama was changed, okay? Don't believe it, all right? Um, I don't believe it. And he's nothing more, like most U.S. presidents, but a puppet a puppet of the shadow governments, the the uh, non-governmental think tanks and what have you um, that influence legislation and even um, push a bunch of propaganda out to the American people. But John Bolton said, the U.S. will keep a military presence in Syria until Iran withdraws its forces. Look, Syria is a sovereign nation that invited Iran to help them get rid of them terrorists that the United States and Britain has been trying to use to overthrow the country. Um, um, and so, if it, I mean, that just makes no sense except for from a, a, a person. I'm, I'm at a loss for words. I'm looking for some words to describe this person, but from a psychopath, man, from a psychopath and, some, and from... A, a, a person who believes in American supremacy or what do they call it? Uh, American exceptionalism and what? Yeah, hey, that's just another fancy word for white supremacy. That's all it is. 
That's all it is. And, and I mean, he, he just bold with his stuff, man. And I appreciate that he's bold with his stuff because then, you know, we don't have to figure too much out because he's just saying what's really on his mind. But, I mean, how crazy is it for you to invade a country uninvited, talking about you going after some terrorists, but you're really helping terrorists, and others trying to overthrow a, a, a sovereign state you're basing thousands of troops there, and then when they invite in one of their allies, Iran, to help them put down these terrorist dogs, and you talking about you won't leave until they leave? What? What? How? How is that correct? How is that correct? Okay, but then these the same people that whine about the UN peacekeepers and saying, "Oh, we don't want to see UN troops on." on American soil to force them to pay reparations or to get them to stop practicing racism and for the government to adhere to the declarate the universal declaration of human rights. Oh, they'll piss a fit, boy. You know, they'll pitch a fit. Let somebody occupy something. I tell you, man, the hypocrisy is thick with these people, man. And I say that as someone who lives here. All right, so I, those are the main things that I want to talk to talk about uh, with you all tonight. The information I want to go over with you all tonight, um, but uh, we will go through first some of the news of the day. Now, let me just go ahead and put this out there before I get into the news of the day, because I didn't pick this as some of the news. I try to I try not to fall for distractions and what have you, or or things that just don't make sense to me and there's no evidence to back up what people are saying so i didn't pick these two things but they were brought to my attention today so y'all know bill cosby got sentenced today to three to ten years he'll probably only do three years um i don't know if that's mandatory sentencing i'm sure they got sentencing guidelines or what have you but i would be surprised if he even do the three years He'll probably get out on good behavior or or something to that effect. You know, he is a very wealthy man. And, you know, besides cops, wealthy people, they don't spend a whole lot of time in prison and what have you. How much did, uh, what was that guy named Kenneth Lay uh, with Enron robbed people of billions of dollars and what have you caused all that damage? How much time did they do? Did, did any of these bankers do any time and what have you for uh, uh, almost crashing the global economy in 2008 with these fraudulent um, uh, mortgages uh, that they bundled up with some risky type stuff? So, so listen, be honest with you, I don't care that much for Bill Cosby. I really don't. Um do I think that the Cosby show was a good show? Yes, it was a good show. Very good show. I used to watch it. I was more a fan of a different world than I was the Cosby show. But I watched the Cosby show back then, back in the 90s and what have you. Very positive show, putting out positive messages and what have you. Now, at the same time, they were on the flip side. They was also engaged in respectability politics and what have you. And, and, you know, that's why he was so successful with that program. Like I was telling somebody else, 
you know, um, who was talking like Bill Cosby's God or something like he is, is lifting us up out of poverty, lifting us all up out of poverty and raising all black boats and what have you. And I was like, you need to read what, what our revolutionary brother and martyr George Jackson wrote about Bill Cosby in the sixties and commenting on the type of roles that he played. And so, you know, I, I also remember as a child, I did like to see, um, I did like those movies that he did with Sidney Poor in the year. I remember going with my stepfather um, to the drive-in to see Let's Do It and Let's Do It Again. No, we wasn't, we was living in Detroit at the time. We were going to the Fox Theater. I wonder if the Fox Theater is still around. Um, I haven't been to Detroit since. When's the last time I was in Detroit? It was probably in the early 80s is the last time. In fact, Fox Theater, it's a landmark theater there um, in Detroit. And so um, I enjoyed those movies and what have you. I and, and in that movie, you know, he was kind of playing Let's Do It and then the uh, sequel Let's Do It Again. Uh, they were playing like hustlers and stuff. You know, actually they were working class men with families and just struggling to survive. And then they saw, you know, a way for them to make some extra money in a hustle. I, I can't remember exactly, but I think they was like robbing a, 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 a gambling hall or something, something to that effect. They were robbing somebody. Um, but, but since then, you know, Bill Cosby's always played the respectable, safe, non-controversial Negro. Okay. Uh, the, the the things that they want black people to be into. Oh, just go get an education and, you know, never mind the uh, tremendous amount of student loan debt you're going to be in. Never mind how unaffordable college is and how everybody don't get to go to college. But hey, if you just go to college, study hard, work hard, you too can live in a brownstone in Harlem or wherever the Cosby show was set. So, I mean, it had positive messages but it also had an underlying political message, and that's the message of the safe Negro who, who just goes to school, goes to work, pays his taxes, and doesn't agitate for, you know, against any kind of uh, injustices that's going on today. I think the show A Different World would touch more on issues of racism and whatnot more so than the Cosby Show did. That's probably why I like a different world a little bit better. But listen, Bill Cosby been hanging out with them white men, them perverted white men in Hollywood for a very long time, okay? I actually uh, had an opportunity to work with an actress one time advocating for little Ayanna Stanley Jones. Remember the little seven-year-old girl that got murdered in Detroit by a killer cop who bust in and uh, shot her in the head and what happened after they burnt her up when they shot that um, flashbang grenade that landed on the couch she was sleeping in to burn her up with June Allison I worked with her and this pastor in New York man I forget his name it's been a long time since I had um, since I've even heard from that brother man it's been a long I hope he's okay I can't even recall his name right now but, you know, uh, got them too. I was doing a lot of the media stuff that was, you know, promoting the case and promoting the upcoming rally that those two 
had put together and what. So that's how I came into contact with June Allison and, and working with her and getting the word out surrounding, you know, her advocacy for a little Ayanna Stanley Jones. She's also one of the victims of Bill Cosby. Okay. Now I don't I don't know the woman like I ain't known her for years or anything like that. But she never said anything about that. She never she did not say a word until all these other women started coming forward. Then she came forward. And she said the reason she didn't come forward was because she know how black America is starving for positive role models, positive images on television, and she didn't want to be the cause of America's favorite dad, as they called him. This is the name white people gave him. So that ought to tell you something right there. Um, so she didn't want to be the cause of, of his downfall, even though as a victim, she wouldn't have been the cause of his downfall if she would have came forward. But she kept it quiet. She suffered in silence, like many victims of sexual assault um, do. And so... I'm biased. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm biased. Plus, I'm biased by his pound cake speech. Okay? When he told us not to be out here protesting for Tyrone because Tyrone stole some pound cake, and if he hadn't stole the cake, then the police wouldn't shot him in the back of the head. Yeah. Mr. Bill Pound Cake Cosby is what I refer to him. I'll never forget that. Y'all may forget that, but I'm not forgetting it. Making fun of, of our people who live in these urban settings and what have you. Yeah, we call them the hood. We might call them the ghetto. Making fun of their names and stuff. Making fun of the way that they talk and all, all of that. He was a up, he was, you ask me, he's an uppity Negro is what he was. Who looked down on poor black folks. So I'm sorry if I don't have sympathy for your idol. Number one, I do my best not to involve myself in idolatry. I understand that these are human beings. They're flesh and blood, just like I am. And they're prone to make, the, uh, make mistakes just like everybody else. Or they're prone to do evil things like everybody else. And so, I, you know, I, I just don't understand, though. This is what I don't understand, though. Why are we defending this man on any level? And before I get deeper into this, let me say this. First of all, Malcolm X and the Black Panther Party is the one that put me on the path to looking at human beings as human beings. Not to totally dismiss how race plays into oppression throughout the world, whether it's race, nationality, religion, or whatever. But human beings are human beings, and we ought to treat all human beings in a humane manner. Regardless of whatever label society has set, uh, slapped on them, regardless of their skin color. That was reinforced later by Mr. Neely Fuller Jr., who many people uh, on Black Talk Radio Network, particularly the cows, you know, uh, that program is based on his work, on uh, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing's uh, work. And I hope I said her name um, correctly in the proper order. Um, but 
I have also found that a lot of people misinterpret. I don't know if it's accidentally or if it's on purpose, but they misinterpret the stuff that Mr. Neely Fuller talks about. Mr. Neely Fuller is not anti-white. He's pro-justice. And I feel like, I feel like just because the person that he was convicted of assaulting was a white woman that we're focusing on the skin color of the victim and not focusing on justice on did he do what he did and if he did what he did which he did admit to in a civil trial and he pay, he's paid off a lot of people now why why are we trying to make this a race issue. Now, I know there's some people out there, they like to Mr. quote Mr. Nee Fuller and say, hey, if you don't understand white supremacy, everything else you think you understand or you whatever um, will only confuse you. Well, you know what? I think a lot of you don't understand justice. And I think he's made it clear on what justice looks like. And we would think that we would be able to logically deduce that if we want justice, we need to practice justice, but that's not always the case. Again, we're human beings. We're flawed. As some people say, they're still learning. I'm still learning. I'm still trying to become a better human being and what have you, because I am by no means perfect. But I just feel, I just feel like we take away from real instances of racism, racial oppression, when we want to cry racism and white supremacy in every instance where it's involving a black person and a white person. So I'm going to take this opportunity, and I don't know, maybe I need to play the clip every every show I do, but nah, I'm not. But this clip really resonates with me, just like how some of the stuff that Malcolm X talks about where when I say Malcolm X there's two Malcolm X's that people subscribe to there's the Malcolm X who was in the Nation of Islam and then there's the Malcolm X of the Organization for African American Unity and the Human Rights Advocate that's the Malcolm X that I follow I don't follow the NOI Malcolm X okay I follow his maturation process and when he became mature and he told you, I'm just repeating what I was told. Wasn't thinking for myself. But now that I'm thinking for myself, this is what I think. But this re- this this clip with Mr. Fuller really resonates with me and that's why I made a clip out of it to play on my program. So to put in the context of what I'm talking about concerning Bill Cosby injustice then and then us some of us let me rephrase that some of us want to scream racism white supremacy in every case without weighing the facts by ignoring evidence and what have you I just feel like we're doing a disservice to a movement for justice everything again I gave the analogy of the little boy who cried wolf you're going to keep calling you're just going to keep playing that card so much play it so much, play it so much to, in, in instances where it should not be played because there's no evidence to play it. And then when you really need it, 
guess what? It ain't going to work no more. It's going to come back insufficient funds because you didn't cry wolf so many times. Racism exists. It exists to a large degree here in the United States. But that don't mean every instance involving a black person in the system or a black person in a white person or a black person in a Hispanic person or whatever is that it is it's racism involved. Okay? It could just be in, in injustice. I just believe in having evidence before I make a charge. Anyway, this is that clip. No, it really isn't. Because, see, people are thinking in terms of, well, they want to brag about being black, which means that they are implying that there's something incorrect about being white, even though these are the creations of the creator. See, and then so everybody gets into this black pride thing or white pride thing, and people immediately start taking sides. It's not about taking sides based on black and white. It's about taking sides based on justice and non-justice. Well, that's what you're really aiming for. Being black doesn't mean anything if you don't believe in justice. And being white doesn't mean anything if you don't believe in justice, except you mean in, you believe in non-justice. And that doesn't make any difference what shade you are or how tall you are or who your cousin was or anything like that or what so-called nationality you have, like a lot of people say that they take pride in being an Englishman, or take pride in being a Frenchman, or take pride in being Afrocentric. Well, you're not supposed to be proud of any of those things if you don't believe in justice, because these words mean nothing. No nationality means anything, and, and waving a flag if you don't believe in not mistreating people. You've got to believe in not mistreating people, and you've got to believe in helping people that need help the most. Otherwise, you don't even have any business breathing. All right, welcome back. And that's the context of what I'm speaking speaking on. I weigh the evidence. If this was a setup, even though I don't like Bill Cosby, I'd be saying it's a setup. The evidence shows that where's the evidence? I don't see no evidence. The man in a legal disposition with his lawyers and her lawyers admitted that he obtains drugs from his doctor to give to women to have sex with them. Does that mean that he was giving them ecstasy in a consensual manner? Hey, you know, let's let's do some ecstasy and make the sex you know, enhancing. No, he was sleeping. He was slipping drugs in these women's drinks. Just like Beverly, what's her name, that supermodel, that black supermodel, Beverly Johnson said. How she took a sip of that and then next thing, she about to pass out and she called him, um, ooh, you mother, you know what, and start cursing him out and he got scared and put her in the cab and sent her on her way. You think wealth didn't protect this man for all these years and his name and his connections didn't protect him all these years? Absolutely it did. If it had been me or you, though, you best believe that, and we should be reported. And no, because nobody be afraid of reporting us. 
because we don't have power. He's not like us. This man is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And I don't see what the skin color of the victim has to do with anything. I have three daughters and one granddaughter. And I got two grandsons because as I was reading a story today about this South Carolina teacher coerced this young 17-year-old boy into having sex by threatening to, to lower his math uh, grades and what have you. I, I think she's an African immigrant or something like that. I don't know what the boy looks like. You know how they hide the identity of the victim and what have you. We have predators out there. And we need to take it very serious. And we need to protect people. So I, I don't care about skin color. I believe in justice, practicing justice. Would you feel the same way if it would would you be saying this stuff if it was what's some of the stuff? Oh, they just doing this to tear down his legacy and all that. Okay, what if it was Beverly Johnson? If the statue of limitations didn't run out on her. Or June Allison. What if June Allison had come forward? A black woman. Both of them black women had come forward and it was being prosecuted. What, what would you be saying then? Oh, they only doing this to go after his legacy. But since it's a white woman, you acting different. That's not justice. That's not how justice is supposed to work. And I know we don't live in a just society, but that don't mean I got to be just as corrupt as the rest of this society. I'm trying to bring my daughters up. They're, I'm not going to say they grown. <laughs> they in their 20s, but are, are they grown really? We say these things about our, our children once they reach the age of 18, but are they grown? I just had to school my daughter on relationships just last week about an abusive dude that she was dealing with. He ain't put his hands on her because y'all know I ain't going to stand for that. But he was verbally abusive. I had to talk to her about that. I'm going to have to school my, my, uh, schooling my grandsons and what have you to practice justice. So, there was another issue that I felt was a distraction, but it's kind of out the news, so I'm not even going to bring it up. I said what I had to say to the person who said it, who 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 didn't consider all the evidence and producing this race porn to get black people in their emotions. I'm I mean, don't you get tired of being in your emotions? That's kind of uh, mentally taxing. It's stressful enough living in a racist nation. I don't need people making up stuff just to get me to watch. And, enter, and, and and then you don't even present no evidence. You start talking about something 20, 30 years ago. So I, I'm going to leave that alone because I'm not telling y'all what I'm talking about. So that's not fair. But I'm, I'm going to leave that alone. Let me get into what's in the news. Some of the stuff that I think we really need to be paying attention to. Oh, before I go, let me say this. And I said I said this on social media. I tried to stay out of this distraction called Bill Cosby, but hey, I, I need to work on my discipline. But I hope Bill Cosby is treated humanely in prison. 
I hope he isn't abused by guards. I hope he isn't abused by other inmates. I hope he, he has some medical issues. I hope he gets good medical care, which is unlikely, depending upon where they send him. I hope that he gets psychological help, because I think the man needs psychological help. He's had a history of doing this sort of thing, and it's not, I don't want to say it's not normal, because what's normal for some people, it might be normal. But it's deviant behavior. And I believe he got turned on to this stuff by them sick people in Hollywood and hanging out with Hugh Hefner at the Playboy Mansion. And he's used to that life of privilege and entitlement. Since he became one of the white people who run Hollywood's darlings and moneymaker. And he thinks that that's okay behavior. He's living in a different world. No pun intended. He needs help. He needs psychological help. He needs rehabilitation. He don't need punishment. Being ripped from his family and, and his, his privileged life is punishment enough. He needs rehabilitation in a humane environment. Okay? And I, I, again, I, I hope that he's not abused in prison. And these same people that's so concerned about him going to prison, I hope you have the same concern for all the victims of modern day slavery and human trafficking. And I don't care if they are murderers or rapists or what. Slavery and the inhumane treatment that is, is being heaped upon these people that's not a society I want to be a part of. I think these people need help. There's many variables to why they engage in that sort of behavior. Not making excuses for it, but there are variables that push people into doing these sort of things. So we want, we want to be humane in our treatment of prisoners. We want to afford them human rights. So if you're concerned about Bill Cosby going into prison, I'm hearing people saying he's 80-something years old, three years, 10 years, that's a death sentence. Why would that be a death sentence? Some people live way past 100 years old. Why would that be a death sentence? Or are you acknowledging the inhumane conditions that exist in these prisons? Were you concerned about it before Bill Cosby was headed there? Are you now going to become an abolitionist? Are you now going to stand up for the human rights of all prisoners? I hope so. I hope that you just ain't concerned because you are idolater. You're one of those people that worship celebrities, idols, false idols and what have you. You should be concerned about all human beings in those cages. I tell you, some of these conditions are worse than an animal shelter. So I, 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 I hope that Bill Cosby don't have to experience all of that. But it's likely he could. It's likely he could. And I hope Bill Cosby, if he's still in prison during the next prison strike, 
they're here participating in the prison strike and do a sit-in and, and, you know, they probably, he old, they probably ain't going to make him work or nothing like that. His name, he probably going to get favorable treatment from the guards. He, his, his wife on the outside got all that bank, all that money. Man, you know they're going to be greasing some palms. So I'm really not that concerned about Bill Cosby dying in prison. He going to have plenty of money on his books. He ain't going to be wanting for nothing. Except for maybe, you know, freedom. So, that that's all I got to say about that. Now, let's jump into some of what's in the news before um um, let me see. We got a call. We got a call. I'm taking calls. We'll, you know, get through the news. But my main thing I want to talk about, we'll hit it during the second hour, is Donald Trump. Because we about, it's very, very possible. I, I can't say we're about to go to war, but it's very, very possible. I shouldn't say we, should we? Because I'm not going to fight no damn body. I'm not going to kill anyone. So, um, but we will get into that. So, Otis wants to chime in, I imagine, on the topic of Bill Cosby. He's posted some things in the uh, chat room. But, um, Otis, thank you for calling in, man. Go ahead, share your thoughts. Good evening, comrade. Good evening. I just wanted to touch on two things right quick. Uh, When you talk about going to war, I agree with you, and I'm shocked at how many people, because they know I served in the Air Force, have inboxed me, primarily women, in just the last six or seven weeks and asked me or basically told me that they're telling their children to join the U.S. military. And I keep saying, why would you do that knowing that hostilities are escalating all over the globe? I said, put you know, put them in two-year community college or something like that, but to tell me that you're actually telling them to go to war because you have some kind of fantasy that they won't be in a combat zone? Yeah. I don't think they know what a combat zone is. is, I had another couple of conversations talking about Bill Cosby because ironically, he's in Pennsylvania and we just covered recently that's one of the states that are tied up in federal court over inadequate health care. Right, so right. Especially with so Mamiya's sure trial. Just because he's a celebrity that he'll get his medications on time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mamiya Abu-Jamal filed that lawsuit uh, to get hepatitis C treatment uh, treatment because it's a curable disease and I would, I, you know, I may not be using the word properly, but it's pretty much a pandemic. A lot of people talk about AIDS and HIV in prison, but hepatitis C is rampant in prison. You know, that's something that affects your liver and and what have you. And and Mumia Abu-Jamal, Jamal had suffered from that from years, and the Abolitionist Law Center had to sue the state of of Pennsylvania just to get treatment. Was Bill Cosby advocating for Mumia to get his medicine? Huh? You don't tell me Bill Cosby don't know who Mamiya Abu-Jabal is. But, you know, prison does have a way of of either breaking some people or radicalizing some people. They go in there, they get an education. They have time to study and get educated by other prisoners and whatnot. So who knows? Maybe Bill Cosby would be a revolutionary. 
by the time he get out. But, you know, um, he should have done that in his youth when they really needed him. Uh, he was too busy telling jokes to, in white clubs and what have you. Um, but anyway, moving on. Let's get to um, uh, Max. If you had something to say, I, I see the chat room. I'm always not looking at the chat room, man. Um, but anybody that has anything to say, agreement is not necessary. We consider all perspectives. We're trying to we're trying to learn. We're trying to grow, and and we can do that through dialogue. But telephone number 704-802-5056. Um, hit star star to unmute yourself. Please watch your background noise. Uh, let me jump into some of these news articles right quick. Um, Trump's trade war. Now, yesterday I was on Twitter. I was looking at some stuff on Twitter and I can't stand Paul Joseph Watson. Man, I bought this dude's book back in 1999 or 2000. He works with Alex Jones. It's called Order Out of Chaos. You might be able to find a PDF copy for free on the internet now because it's been you know out for that long. But he wrote a book, man. And that book opened up my, I mean, it really opened up my eyes. It, I'm going to say it taught me more about geopolitics than, man, what's up with this website? Um, It taught me more about geopolitics and how the shadow government works. And when I say shadow government, so I don't sound like Alex Jones and ominous and, and you know, uh, just crazy and where I'm making up stuff and I don't know. I'm talking about these non-governmental organizations. They got different names. They call them think tanks. Okay, that's what they call them. Is think tanks. Um, let me turn my phone off because I'm doing a broadcast and I'm um, getting a phone call. I'm sorry, sorry about that interruption. I thought I had turned my phone off. Um, but yeah. He was saying, he was blaming the Dow Jones on Monday had dropped something like 500 points, right? Drop, that was yesterday, dropped 500 points. So he was on Twitter saying that some fake news about Rod, Rod Steen, that's the guy, I think he's in charge of the FBI, he's the interim director or something. He's high up the food chain at the FBI, right? And uh, he's the one that appointed Mueller to investigate Trump or whatever. So anyway, um, there was some news that came out Monday that he either was going to resign or he was going to be fired. But I don't think he supposed to meet with Donald Trump until Thursday. He has not tend. It was diff conflicting information about he had already turned in his resignation and that turned out to be false and what have you. But anyway, Paul Joseph Watson going to blame the drop on the Dow on a news report about him going to resign. And I was like, wait a minute, what what the heck does, he's at the FBI, the Department of Justice. He don't work for the U.S. Treasury. He's not making any economic decisions or whatnot. He's not working for the non-federal Federal Reserve. So how are you blaming a news story about him possibly resigning uh, uh, blame that. Blame a 500 uh, point drop in the stock market in the Dow Jones on a, on that news story, and it's it's just crazy, man. It was just crazy, but it was some right wing financial light type, you know, analyst that tried to say the same thing, and they were saying, oh, you know, this is showing instability in Trump's administration, and that's going to affect the Dow. 
I think that's a cover story. I think that's a political cover story. I think the Dow dropped 500 points because on that same day, those fresh tariffs, what, how much was it? I got the article up here from Politico. How much, what, $200 billion in Chinese imports took effect yesterday. The same day that the Dow dropped 500 points. And I, and I said to him, when I looked it up and had time to think about it, and I said to him, dude, I know what you're doing. You're just trying to uh, uh, provide political cover for Donald Trump in these trade wars. He's starting with everybody, and it's starting to affect the stock market. Yeah, it, the stock market got a little bump and a jump when he gave them tax cuts to the wealthiest people in in the United States. Um Court to cut the corporate tax rate. And so, yeah, you got a little bump in the economy and, and what have you from that. But now you're messing with people's money. We have to realize the United States, I could be wrong. Somebody can correct me if they know better than I. But I would believe just from looking at items on the shelves or whatever, that the United States imports more products than they export. Basically, all of your all of your um, electronics is made in China or Taiwan or some other country if it's not made by uh, prison slaves here in the United States. Okay? But a lot, of, a lot of electronics are imported. Japan as well. Okay? Then you have to also um, um, look at a lot of the textile jobs aren't here anymore. Okay? A lot of people import textiles. You know, Haiti is one. They're exploiting the hell out of Haiti, though, with that. Um, Indonesia is one. And then China is another. Vietnam's another one, and what have you. So, I mean, he's putting all of these, but by far, I think the Chinese top all imports into this country. That's American businesses that get their parts and stuff from China, and they import it over here. And then they sell it to you at a retail price. The parts for the audio mixing kit that I created in 2008, all right, that uses electronic components, that's what my supplier was in China. Getting my external little, you know, handheld audio cars and then the cables that go with it. My supplier is China, okay? Um, I stopped doing the kits because I couldn't find any more cars. My supplier ran out. And they got out of, you know, uh, that that particular area of electronics. And so I just stopped selling them. I was like, you know, I'll find another supplier later. Because, you know, and so, so this is having an effect on uh, um, the stock market, as it should. It, I mean, it only makes sense. So let me read a little bit about this. Trump's trade war start biting GOP ahead of the midterms. President Donald Trump's trade battles are already triggering economic warnings and rising danger for Republicans just ahead of the midterm elections. As fresh U.S. tariffs on $200 billion in Chinese imports take effect Monday, surveys show consumers growing increasingly worried about higher prices this fall. Giant retailers such as Walmart are warning of price increases for manufactured goods in smaller businesses in swing states and districts from Washington State to Iowa to Tennessee are complaining about big hits to their exports because 
China's going tit for tat with Donald Trump. Okay, you slap two hundred billion of 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 um, tariffs on our, on the stuff that we uh, export to your country. Well, we gonna do like kind. All the stuff that you send out of your country to our country, we're gonna. So you know, it's not only hitting a consumer, but it's hitting businesses as well. This is a global economy. You should, you know, all these things are interconnected. You should have learned that when the 2008 crash almost took down the entire global economy. So all of these things are interconnected. It says the economic fallout from Trump's skirmishes with not only China, but Canada, Mexico, and the European Union risk making an already tough cycle for Republicans even more brutal, giving Democrats a chance to peel away voters linked to influential industries like Washington State cherry farmers, Tennessee whiskey makers, who have long supported business-friendly Republicans. Where you have real-world effects of the trade war, you see people's opinions sour, dramatically says Scott Lenasiocomb, a trade lawyer and adjunct Scholar at the Cato Institute. That's one of those shadow governments I was telling y'all about. Uh, that's part of the shadow government, these think tanks and what have you. But he's a scholar at the Cato Institute who is studying the links between public opinion and trade. You look at places like Washington State where people are dependent on exporting cherries and apples or Rust Belt states that border Canada or Tennessee with auto and bourbon makers. You are going to see close races where this is actually a decisive issue. The latest impact will begin to hit Monday as new 10% tariffs Trump slapped on over $200 billion in imports from China are scheduled to go into effect. That tariff rate is set to rise to 25% on January the 1st if the Chinese don't capitulate to White House demands. See, he, 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 think, he, he think that he's on a reality show, that, you know, he's got this image that he has of being a tough businessman, a big, tough talker, a big bully, and he think he's just going to bully these other countries into doing what he wants them to do. And, and he's in for a rude awakening. Trump has also threatened to bump the total up to more than $500 billion in imports, which would hit nearly every product China exported to the U.S. last year. So, a lot of people are saying, you know, they're concerned about this. And again, as, as I heard someone else say, I think this is relatively true. I didn't spend a lot of time working in retail, but most of the money retail stores make is Christmas. It's the weeks or, or that month leading up to Christmas. I think right after Thanksgiving is when people start Christmas shopping and stuff. Now, especially these poor people, but I have another mind about that. It's hard to call it. When these Trump voters who are mostly poor and in rural areas and what have you, or working class poor, or or just barely in the middle class, barely making it, for a long time they voted against their own interests. You know what I'm saying? I mean, really. They know they, they use food stamps, but they'll sit up there and vote for people that have cut them food stamps. I can't tell you how many white people I see at the grocery store or at, at the... Um, because I live in one of those rural Trump-supporting areas, uh, or at the convenience store, using food stamp cards or EBT cards and stuff. But, you know, the racist society wants to paint it all as black people, and so they're they, they not even taking into account that 
damn, I got an EBT card and, and I'm out of work and cause all these textile mills getting closed and, and what have you. They still vote against their own interests because I guess uh, uh, being racist trumps their own uh, self-preservation. I, I guess, you know, some people that religion is strong with them. So, but people are predicting that, hey, if these people had to pay a lot of money and they can't get Christmas and, and this, oh man, they're going to flip on the GOP. But I don't, I, I don't know. I can't call it because these people have been voting against their own economic interests for a very long time. Um, it goes on to say, if you are kind of in the middle, man, I, I missed the top of the hour break. If you are kind of in the middle or lower income groups, you are buying a lot of what economists call economists call tradable goods, and you'll be hit a lot harder, said Kyle Hanley, assistant professor of business economics and public policy at University of Michigan's Ross School of Business. This is basically the Trump voter who is going to see the biggest hit to their total spending. Evidence is piling up that consumers and businesses are growing increasingly nervous about Trump's trade policy. It goes on. I'm going to leave it there. Um, It's a lot more, Um, but that is linked up for you in btrcommunity.com on my profile for BTR News with Scotty Reed, and it is viewable to the public. I didn't make it a private post or anything like that. Uh, Okay, so, um, yeah, um, like Dave was talking about this morning. Listen, y'all, start preparing for this. Start preparing for this. Um, I'm not telling you go start buying your Christmas now because I'm not big into Christmas like that and buying gifts and all of that. I had to tell my family members who are, I don't want nothing. Spend it on the kids or something. Spend it on the grandkids. I don't want nothing. But you know how how your children are want to do something for you or what have you. But I'm not really big into Christmas like that. You know, uh, uh, it's a pay. It's based on a pagan holiday and and all of that. But I'm, I'm not going to get in go down that road. Um, but if you if there are some things that you need now, let's say a microwave or or. I don't know some electronics. I don't. I, I, I don't know auto parts. Um, start buy it now. Buy it as soon as possible before the prices start going up on everything. I will also say you might want to start uh, buying a few extra canned goods. Um, go to Dollar General. Go to Family Dollar for their prices start rate uh, rising. I don't know if it'll hit them, but it could. Um, but start putting away some canned food. Start putting away some water. Who knows what this could turn into? And this is just the economic trade war that's going on. What if World War Three pop off in addition to that? Yes, we need to be paying attention to this. And we need to be preparing for the worst. Because the signs in the immediate future do not look good for the average everyday working class person. It just, it don't look good, y'all, and y'all need to be prepared, okay? Just get prepared for it. Um, this is related to criminal justice, a.k.a. slavery in this country, because that's an oxymoron, criminal justice, in my opinion. That's, a, that's an oxymoron, <laughs> you know, so uh, speaking of slavery in this country, let's talk about slavery for a second here. 
Marijuana arrests are increasing despite legalization. New FBI data shows. Um, I think somebody might have posted this in BTR community. It caught my eye somewhere, and I was like, man, it, it, this article came out yesterday. Cannabis. I, I don't like using the term marijuana because it has racist history, so I say cannabis. Cannabis arrests are increasing despite legalization. New FBI data shows. This comes to you from Forbes.com. Uh, cannabis arrests are rising in the U.S. even as more states legalize cannabis. There is now an average of one cannabis bus roughly every 48 seconds, according to a new report released on Monday. That's that. I mean, that's astronomical numbers, man. One cannabis bus every 48 seconds and they ain't talking about drug kingpins or, or anything of the sort they talking about the everyday person on the street that's got a small amount of cannabis on them the increase in marijuana excuse me cannabis arrests 659,727 compared to 653,249 in 2016 is driven by enforcement against people merely possessing the drug as opposed to selling it or growing it, the data shows. Last year, there were almost 600,000 cannabis possession arrests in the country up from uh, almost 600, excuse me, 587,516 in 2016. Meanwhile, bus for cannabis sales and manufacturing dropped from 65,734 in 2016 to 60,418 in 2017. You know that some of this stuff is them planting cannabis on people. You know that, right? This is all about job security for slave catchers. Why are you concerned about somebody using a, a plant that grows naturally all over the planet? That's why they call it a weed, because it grows in, in basically anywhere. I don't know about cold climates or whatnot, but they can certainly grow it in, indoors. All of this research that you've denied for decades and lied to the American people and said it had no medicinal benefit, but all of these studies now showing the medicinal benefits for many different ailments. People are not ODing from it like they ODing from opioids and heroin and, and things like that that they're shooting up and what have you. Um, why are you going out? Why are you wasting resources going after people for cannabis possession? Because it's about slavery. Okay? It's about profit. This is about job security for slave catchers. The increase in cannabis possession arrests comes despite the fact that four additional states legalized cannabis on election day 2016 while among those states legal recreational sales were only in effect in Nevada by the end of 2017 the prohibition on possession for adults was lifted soon after the successful votes there as well as in California 
Maine, and Massachusetts. At a time when more than 100 deaths per day are caused by opioid overdoses, it is foolish to focus our limited law enforcement resources on a drug that has caused literally zero. Don Murphy, Federal Policies Director for the Mel- M- Marijuana Policy Project, said in an interview. So I, 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 I'm going to leave it there. It's a whole lot more statistics that they're, they're saying. I'll just add this last paragraph. Actions by law enforcement run counter to both public support and basic morality, added normal political director Justin Strico. In a day and age where 20% of the population lives in states which have legalized in nearly every state has some legal protection for medicinal cannabis or its extract, the time for lawmakers to end this senseless and cruel prohibition that ruins lives. Okay? I think they're making logical sense there. This isn't about public safety. This is about profits. Profits for who? Profits for the prison profiteers. Profits for the modern day slavers. Profits for the slave catchers. This is about job security. Okay? For whatever reason, instead of working on all these solving, these unsolved murders, rapes and sexual assaults and what have you, they directing resources towards locking up and finding cannabis users. Applying morality to a system that practices slavery, especially an industry that enforces slavery, it it just, it don't compute, man. It's nothing moral about these people. Only reason some people respect them is because of the propaganda. There's a couple of more stories that I think that um, need to be brought to your attention. Let me just go straight through uh, straight through them, but I do want to leave the last 30 minutes we'll talk about uh, Donald Trump. We'll give a listen to uh, what I'm calling is a signal from neocons and Zionists, puppets of Israel, Zionist Israelis. Um, this is a signal. We about to start World War Three. Hide your children, folks. Hide your children. If you don't want them to be cannon fodder. These people don't care about, about uh, our lives. All they care about is their profits and their world domination. They're not regular people like you and me. Okay? And they don't care about us. So let me, like Michael Jackson told us all those years ago. Um... I'm going to take a station identification and a quick music break while I grab something to drink. My throat is kind of itching, so I need something to drink. But stay tuned, and we'll be back on the other side. You're listening to Black Talk Radio News, part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the world's number one um, digital depository of black-produced podcasts. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Make Black Talk Radio your choice for digital black radio. New black media for the new millennium. 
Hi, the Black Talk Media Project would like to invite you to become a member of the BTR Community subscription-based social media platform. BTR Community is a platform that was set up for the listening audience of Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black radio network online. For just $24 per year, your subscription gives you access to an interactive space to share information with like-minded people with your privacy guaranteed. Your subscription will go a long way to help us maintain and improve our current media platforms. It will also help provide a budget so that we can begin the task of establishing localized media centers and radio stations across the United States. The best way to show your support and appreciation for what we do here at Black Talk Radio is to subscribe. Help us to help you be informed. Join btrcommunity.com today. What he's doing is using an adjective put to describe something that's in incidental about him, one of his inc incidental characteristics. So there's nothing else to it. He's just white. But when you get the white man over here in America and he says he's white, he means something else. You can listen to the sound of his voice when he says he's white. He means he's boss. That's right. That's what white means in this, in this language. You know the expression, free, white, and 21. He made that up. He's letting you know all of them mean the same. White means free, boss. He's up there. So that when he says he's white, he has a little different sound in his voice. And I know you know what I'm talking about. He, uh, and uh, this was what I saw was missing in the Muslim world. If they said they were white, it was incidental. White, black, brown, red, yellow. It doesn't make any difference what color you are. And so this was the religion that I had accepted and had gone there to get a better knowledge of it. And, but, but despite the fact that I saw that Islam was a religion of brotherhood, I also had to face reality. And when I get back into this American society, I'm not in a society that practices brotherhood. I'm in a society that might preach it on Sunday, but they don't practice it in, on no day, on any day. And so since I could see that America itself is a society where there is no brotherhood, and that this society is controlled primarily by racists and segregationists, and it is, uh, who use, and that, the, that who are in Washington, D.C., in positions of power, and from Washington, D.C., they exercise the same uh, forms of brutal uh, oppression against dark-skinned people in, in, in South and North, North Vietnam, or in the Congo, or in Cuba, or in any other place on this earth where they're trying to ex exploit and oppress. This is a society whose government doesn't hesitate to inflict the most brutal form of punishment and oppression upon dark-skinned people all over the world. Uh, to wit right now what's going on in, in, uh, near, uh, in and around Saigon and Hanoi, and in the Congo, and in, and in elsewhere. They are violent when their interests are at stake. But that, with all of that violence that they display at the international level, when you and I want just a little bit of freedom, we're supposed to be non-violent. They're violent. They're violent in Korea. They're violent in Germany. They're violent in the South Pacific. They're violent in Cuba. They're violent wherever they go. But when it comes time for you and me to protect ourselves against lynchers, they tell us to be non-violent.
You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And welcome back to BTR News. My name is Scotty Reed. I'm broadcasting from behind these enemy lines that I call USA Inc. If you have any questions or comments about any other stories or topics that we covered uh, thus far, uh, please unmute yourself by hitting star star. Um, I see we have someone on the board. It's my brother from another mother, Mr. Max Parthis, I believe, is on the line. Yes, sir. Uh, peace, Brother Scotty Reed, and to all the listeners and our fellow compatriots out there. <clears throat> I just wanted to call in and give a heads up on tomorrow's program, if that's okay. Oh, uh, sure. He's talking about New Abolitionist Radio, which I co-host with him. Why I don't do BTR News on Wednesdays, but tomorrow night at 8 o'clock p.m. Go ahead, Max. Yeah, I'm going to go into a couple of topics pretty deeply, one being felony disenfranchisement laws. I have been studying this now for about a week, uh, tracing it all the way back to Greece and civil death, and then to the Black Codes during after the Civil War and through the Civil Rights Movement all the way up to today. It's amazing some of the things I found regarding felony disenfranchisement. Hey, Max, you're going in and out. So tomorrow I'll be going deep in on that, and if anybody wants to chime in, uh, they can. And the other topic that I'm, I want to put up for everybody to talk about is uh, what's happening or what has happened with Philadelphia civil forfeiture machine. And uh, recently, just from a small lawsuit, uh, it was determined that what they're doing is state-sanctioned theft. And the numbers really show that to be true. And it's a great example of how we can win against the giants. So tomorrow I'll talk about that and show other people how they can do the same thing, and maybe we can take a big chunk of this machine down. Yeah, that felony disenfranchisement, I'm sure that's also playing a role in all of these cannabis arrests uh, that I just got through, through discussing in that article. Uh, it, you know, it, it just it's, it's about profit. It's also about disenfranchising you and making you uh, a citizen slave, uh, so to speak. Some of them might be misdemeanors, so that wouldn't apply. But still, if you on probation, you can't vote. So I, I wouldn't I, I would uh, venture to guess that if statistics from the past hold true that uh, black people and uh, other non-white people are the primary targets of these cannabis uh, increase in t- cannabis arrests. Exactly, Scotty. And a number of the examples that were provided were people who were arrested for marijuana possession and lost their homes. For instance, they did that in Philadelphia to a woman that was 80-something years old, took her house because somebody ran through her house that the police were chasing, dropped their bags of weed, and jumped out her window. <laughs> so they took her house at 80 or 80 years old. Wow. All right, Max. Well, I'm looking forward to it as always every Wednesday night. New Abolitionist Radio, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Was there anything else, Max? Uh, Yeah, one other thing. You were talking about Bill Cosby, and I'm with you. I I ain't got a lot of love for Bill Cosby, and that's because he often often took the position of our oppressors, and he would often tell us uh, that our problem was we didn't know who our daddies were, uh, we were having babies out of wedlock and all of these different things that really were the, 
the arguments of the oppressor class. So he was acting in that way. So, I, you know, I don't really get two dams about him going to prison, but I do care about this. When somebody's over 80 years old, is prison the place you really want to send them? Is there something else we can do? Because that is a crime against humanity as we know it already. And you're sending somebody right. over 80 years old into it. Right. So I'm just... Right. I, I understand what you're saying, Max. Perhaps maybe let him do his time in a halfway house or, or something like that. But again, man, I don't have a lot of sympathy for him, man. I had to put myself in his victim's shoes. And if that was one of my daughters, and like I said, I do have a personal connection to June Allison. Yeah, we have got to do something with this system. There has to be a place where you can put someone like that, where they'll be paying for their crimes, and at the same time, not subject to things that grown men can't deal with in the prime of their life. Right, right. The inhumane conditions that exist have to be eliminated and their human rights have to be respected, which was the focus of the prison strike that uh, just recently concluded. Right. Well, that's it for me, Scotty. Tomorrow I look forward to the conversation as always, brother. All right. Peace, Max. Okay. Uh, let's jump into um, another story. But one quick thing, though, when we listen to this clip from uh, Donald Trump, just take in it. Just, just remember some of the things that Malcolm X said about these people are violent wherever they go. And and they just have hypocrites, man. Want to talk about freedom and democracy, but then you trying to dictate to another country what they can and cannot do, what they can buy, what they can't buy, uh, talk, invading countries. Uh, occupying countries uninvited without a declaration of war you know so it's even unconstitutional the things that they doing they're outlaws man they're they're the biggest outlaws on the planet but when but like Malcolm X said but they expect us to to adhere to the law you know All, always talking about some law and order but like uh, H. Rap Brown said they talk about law and order but they never talk about justice and that's that's just really illustrated in Donald Trump's disgusting, uh, thuggish speech that he gave at the UN today. And they even was laughing at him, man. <laughs> they were laughing at the dude. Um, y'all know, uh, or you may not know, that Laquan McDonald uh, was murdered in 2014 by Chicago police officer, uh, former Chicago police officer Jason Van Dyke, who they tried to cover it up. He sat on desk duty for over a year before charges were ever brought. They hid the video from from the public so that even the news media, you know, uh, wouldn't be uh, uh, know about the story. Then they paid his mom off, who I heard had some drug problems and what have you. Uh, I'm not casting any blame her way, but I'm just giving some context. But uh, why she signed a non-disclosure agreement not to talk about her son being murdered by Jason Van Dyke in exchange for, I think, about $5 million was what they paid her. And that's why Rahm Emanuel isn't running for re-election, okay? Because this trial, this trial brings all of that back into focus, and, and it will be used against him by his opponents. So that's why he he um, not running again for uh, Chicago mayor. But I tell you, man, they'll, they, they'll, they'll, and I'm surprised of this objective article that was published on Fox News, but then again, it wasn't written by P. 
people on staff at Fox News. It's an Associated Press article, which they probably paid, you know, to redistribute because, you know, you can pay to belong to the Associated Press or to have access to the content they produce. So this is an article written by Don Babwin and just some other foolishness um, that's going on in that court. So a defense expert in the trial of of um, what's his name again? Jason Van Dyke, who was charged with murder in the death of Laquan McDonald on Monday, criticized the official autopsy results and testimony that seemed to contradict what the video of the 2014 shooting shows. So, yeah, you don't believe your eyes. Believe me, I'm the expert, you know, and I got paid a hefty fee to come up. I wonder who's paying for Jason Van Dyke's defense. Forensic pathologist Shaku Tease testified. I'm going to have to look this woman up. Shaku Tease testified that she believes at least 12 of the 16 shots fired by Officer Jason Van Dyke on October the 20th, 2014, hit McDonald before the 17-year-old was on the ground. Prosecutors told the jury last week that the video shows McDonald hitting the ground less than two seconds after the first shot was fired. Twelve more seconds of gunfire then follows, they said. So what, what they're saying is, oh, he didn't, after the, the uh, alleged threat was eliminated and he's laying on the ground dying from the bullets that, you know, already hit him, uh, uh, yo, he was still, he, you know, that's not true. He had to keep shooting to eliminate the threat. And that's not what the video showed. This boy was laying on the ground, might have been dead, according to the official um, coroner report, that he probably died within uh, five seconds of, of getting hit because um, of where the uh, round hit him at. But anyway, let, let me continue. It, uh, the pro, uh, prosecutors told the jury last week that the video shows McDonald hitting the ground less than two seconds after the first shot was fired. Twelve more seconds of gunfire then follows, they said. Under intense questioning by prosecutor, Tease seen to contradict her own testimony. Well, that's what you do when you get caught in a lie. Saying she had no opinion on whether five of the shots hit the team before he fell. She then stated that she didn't know how many shots hit McDonald before he fell. Earlier, Tease had criticized the work of Dr. Pony Arunkumar, Cook County's chief medical examiner, who testified last week that it was impossible to determine the exact order of McDonald's wounds. Tease said she believes a wound to McDonald's neck was the result of the first or second shot and, w- and was fired when he was still standing. T says she believes the fourth shot hit McDonald's right chest and caused him to die rapidly. She said the wound was consistent with McDonald being turned toward the officer when at the time and that the bullet inflicted such massive injuries that she believes that the team was dead within five minutes. Okay, I was wrong. Um, squad car video shows Van Dyke open fire on McDonald as he veered away from police with a small and I would say legal, knife in his hand, because it was less than four inches. Uh, Van Dyke's attorneys have argued that he was afraid for his life and acted according to his training. Prosecutors have stressed that no other officers who encountered McDonald opened fire. Prosecutors rested their case Thursday. That was last Thursday. All right, so um, it's not 
evident at this point whether Van Dyke will testify himself. Uh, some of the other officers did testify, and our and I think uh, some of them cut a plea deal because they were being prosecuted for helping uh, Van Dyke cover it up, falling, filing false police reports. That's why I was angry when Walter Scott was killed in Charleston, South Carolina, and that black cop filed a false police report to help uh, Michael Slager cover it up, and, and nothing happened to that guy. Nothing happened to him. He wasn't prosecuted whatsoever, even though he filed a false police report backing up. But in this case, those other officers that falsified a report to back up Van Dyke, they were uh, prosecuted, but they cut a deal. All right, so um, it's not known if Van Dyke is going to testify. I doubt if he does um, because he doesn't want to open himself up to uh, you know, um, cross-examination. All right, next art, next article. Um, I'm not gonna go into this one, but uh, I do. This name was familiar to me. But Kent Sorensen was a Tea Party hero. Then he lost everything. Now it doesn't really. This article from the Politico really doesn't tell me what he went to prison for. I would have to look that up. It has something to do with with some kind of political shenanigans or what have you. But anyway. If you read the article, he talks about how before he went into prison, and because he was a Republican state senator and a Tea Party superstar with a clear path to uh, Congress, who had heard about disparities in sentences, and he had read about the statistical inequalities and crooked economics that are foundational to the American prison slavery system. I added that. They didn't say prison slavery system. He had watched the demonstrators on television chanting about the devastation wreaked on minority communities by mass incarceration. And he didn't buy any of it. Sorensen was a conservative, not just any conservative, but a fiery, in-your-face ILD log who preached punitive justice and individual responsibility. He was a law and order dogmatist. And he was, if he's being honest, a little bit racist. That's that's in quotation. So that's what he said about himself. With no, I don't so I don't know how you can be a little bit racist. That's like <laughs> that's like uh, this clip where H. Rap Brown talks about being a little bit pregnant. Yeah, he's just a little bit pregnant. Oh, I'm just a little bit racist. Either you're racist or you're not, dude. Ain't no little bit racist. <laughs> I can't believe he said that, man. Um, but anyway, he says, I had no time for the BS propaganda being peddled by the likes of, likes of Black Lives Matter. Now, he completely changed his tune once he went to prison, though. All right. And let me jump down. It's a very long article. Buckets of words, man. They just use too many words on this. Um, but it talks about how he changed his mind once he got in prison. Uh, once there, a switch flipped inside of Sorensen. He was swept up in the emotion of the event, galvanized by the notion of a culture under siege, inspired by the powerful oration of Keith Ratliff, Reverend Keith Ratliff. Ah, uh, nope, they ain't got nothing to do with it. Um, I don't want to spend too much time because I'm running out of time on this, but you can find the article in btrcommunity.com. Again, it's on my profile for today's program. 
And uh, he just completely changed his tune now. He ain't go as far as to become a slavery abolitionist, but now he's done a 180 on quote unquote criminal justice reform and and what have you. So um, I thought I thought it was pretty much worth a read and pretty interesting. You know, uh, yeah, these people are, are very hardcore about crime and punishment until they find themselves in the prison plantation locked in a cage, okay? And he even talked about the food had been expired. I mean, he talked about all the things. We talk about the horrendous conditions in prison, and, and he talks about all that stuff. So now, um, you know, he's quote-unquote had a change of heart. thought it was a very interesting story. Um Kavanaugh's high school yearbook page appears to make a sexual reference to a female friend. L- listen, um, there was these women who came out in defense of Brett Kavanaugh, the, uh, Donald Trump Supreme Court nominee, and saying, oh, he was such a gentleman and, and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And then it come out that he had made a reference to this particular woman who apparently they had been getting drunk and running a train on. And when she read that, now she's talk, She's gone from being his defender to now, oh, I'm just so appalled. I'm, I'm just, how dare he say that about me and, and all this and that. You know, it was in his high school, high school yearbook and, you know, more people have come, come forward and this is the only thing I'm going to say to you about that. I found this particularly disgusting today that the same people who were defending, um, who were coming to the, to the rescue of the, how should I say, the character of Bill Cosby and dismissing what he did outright and saying it didn't happen, were also coming to the defense of Brett Kavanaugh. Black people, these are black people. Oh, they doing, they doing Kavanaugh just like they did Bill Cosby. You know what? I'm, I'm like, man, what's your motivation? I don't know what your motivation is. Perhaps you have you a serial sexual assaulter or something. And that's why you coming out so heavily on behalf of these people. I I mean, okay, I understand Bill Cosby, you blinded by his skin color and you know, you're not really practicing justice, but Brett Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh, come on man. Brett Kavanaugh, you really you really gonna buy into this dude's oh I was just a go to school, study, go to church, choir boy uh, routine that he's putting on. And I didn't even have sex. Uh, I was well into college or after college before I even had sex. What? Whatever, man, whatever. Okay, I have more respect to you for you if you just owned up to what you did and admit that you was a young person making bad decisions under the influence of alcohol instead of acting like you were some kind of Christian crier boy who could do no evil. Give me a freaking break. Um, I think Otis might have shared this one, and I grabbed it um, before we get into this Donald Trump thing. Pennsylvania prisons hired a private company to intercept and store prisoners' mail. Now, this kind of, like, interested me and I haven't had time to consult any attorneys, but I was like, okay, because I got my best friend, one of my best friends from high school um, is in prison in North Carolina. He's been locked up for over 25 years for murder. And um, so I write him from time to time and he writes me. And so I'm like, okay, 
I thought you can go to jail or you could get charged with a crime for interfering with people's mail and stuff. Like if, if I go out there to my, my neighbor across the street's mailbox, which is on our side of the street, um, you know, right in front of our house. If I go out there and I start opening up his mail and reading it, then what's, I can get charged with a crime and definitely get a hefty fine behind that. So it's still my property, my communications, when I mail a letter to somebody on the inside. You don't have no business interfering in that process. But again, they will say, and you can't say it's the possession. I'm making a legal argument here. Um, you can't say it belongs to the prisoner because it hasn't gotten into his possession before you opened it up and scanned it and read it. No, it was still legally my property until it was delivered to the possession of the prisoner that I'm writing. Okay? That's a legal argument that I've been working over in, in my head concerning this case. So let me read it to you a little bit from it. A new policy has put Pennsylvania prisoners' communication under its intense surveillance in the name of stopping contraband drugs. On September the 5th, the State's Department of Corrections announced that it would be largely restricting mail to prisoners. Effective immediately, all incoming mail will be sent to a private company in Florida, Smart Communications. See again, prison profiteer right there. Now you didn't hire some third party. Why don't you just hire some people? Not that I agree with what you're doing, but why don't you just hire some people in Pennsylvania? to do this job? Why are you going all the way to Florida to this company called Smart Communications? Okay, why you can't do it yourself? All you got to do is, is get some computers in with a scanner. Prisoners would then receive, and they paying millions, 147, let me just keep going, um, for, and then what they're going to do is scan the letters and then put them in a searchable database. Prisoners would then receive photocopies of the incoming mail and originals would be shredded. The DOC has also banned prisoners from receiving books from vendors, including book donation organizations like Books Through the Bars. Instead, prisoners will have the option of paying for ebooks via tablets that cost over $147 each. Again, this ain't nothing about this ain't about public safety this ain't about rehabilitation this is about profit plain and simple the DOC implemented this policy after it said prison staff members were exposed to drugs on August the 29th staff members to a Pennsylvania state prison were taken to the hospital because of alleged exposure to a substance that the DOC later identified as sorbitin triol triolate, a chemical compound found in a wide range of household products. Later that day, the Secretary of DOC, John Wetzel, announced an immediate lockdown of the entire state prison system. The department's press release stated that multiple staff members had been sickened by unknown substances during the past few weeks. The wide range of reported symptoms included elevated blood pressure, dizziness, migraines, and tingling extremities. One guard reported developing bumps along his hairline. 
Dude, that's cause you got dandruff. Uh, when the lock or or lice or something. <laughs> when the lockdown was lifted on September the tenth, the department stated that toxicology results confirmed the presence of synthetic cabinoid in multiple instances of staph exposure, but did not specify which synthetic cabinoid was found. There are 30 to 40 types of synthetic cabinoid. And the field test did not identify the type, DOC spokesperson Amy Amy Warden said in an email. Now, I'm going to jump down. This be the last pair. Let me read this. However, toxicology experts have poked holes in the official version of events, stating that simply touching K2, that's fake weed, Okay, fake weed. Stating that simply touching K2 should not cause exposure to the drug. They have suggested that it might be mass psychogenic illness where symptoms are similar to anxiety. The DOC has also not released any biological testing results such as blood or urine tests which would prove drug exposure. So they're saying this is, this is what we say happened and just believe us and we don't have to give you any proof. Now, despite the questions surrounding the alleged drug exposure, the DOC's new security plan will cost Pennsylvania's $15 million, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer. But, you know, they can't find no money to give these prisoners hep C treatment, but they can find $15 million to pay some private company to violate their privacy rights because, as it states later on in the article, um, I think the Abolitionist Law Center is even involved in this. It's saying that we can't, you know, we're supposed to have private, confidential communication with our clients. And this circumvents that. And so we're not going to be able to communicate with our clients about their cases because of this intrusion of uh, or violation of the attorney-client uh, privacy privilege. I think Otis wants to chime in on that. Otis, I hear you. You're unmuted. Go ahead. Yes, got it. I just wanted to add, I, I did post that, but I've been trying to scout around. I'm trying to learn how to research this stuff. But it strikes me strange that the ACLU nor the uh, NAACP Legal Defense Fund Nobody has jumped in to ask the court for an emergency stay because it interferes with attorney-client privilege. How can you give the Department of Corrections access to confidential mail? I'm not even talking about what you just uh, talked about, the laws that protect U.S. postal mail, period. This just sounds like such a crazy thing to me that no one stepped in to create an emergency stay or plead to the court. It just sounds so crazy. Well, no one except the abolition. Well, I'm not even seeing that the abolitionist law center has filed an injunction or something. I don't right, know. that's what I'm saying. I tried to dig around and I couldn't find anything yet. I'm not saying they haven't. I just haven't found any evidence that they have. Or maybe it's possible it's coming, but you do raise a very valid point. But you know what, though, Otis, I don't, I don't have much faith in the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. I just really don't, man. I don't. I, I don't know what their deal is, man. I don't know why. Oh, I agree with that because I'm always talking to Cheryl Eiffel back and forth on Twitter, and she ignores me, but she hadn't blocked me yet. Yeah. 
I, I, I really don't know. I mean, they should be at the forefront of 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 these uh, hearings that we're pushing for on the 13th Amendment. They should be at the forefront. Although, if, if I remember correctly, Amendment A in Colorado, I do think the state chapter of the NAACP is involved in Amendment A to remove the slavery exception clause from Colorado's constitution, but not the, the uh, NAACP legal defense fund. I don't know what the hell they do. Did you have anything else, Otis? Okay, okay, he muted himself. All right, let's give a listen to Donald Trump. Um, he was at the UN today threatening people, and I want you to pay attention. This is this is codified white supremacy right here, codified racism. And I'm gonna give you a, a I'm gonna get, I'm just gonna tell you so you don't have to guess. Notice when he's attacking socialist countries. He only mentions countries in Latin America or South America. He names Cuba. He names Venezuela as if they're the only countries on the planet that's practicing what they call socialism. Okay? He doesn't call out any of the European countries where college tuition is free, where they have universal health care, okay, where, where they have all these benefits for their citizens, all this paid vacation and, and, uh, and, and you know, by their definition, it's socialism. But he don't single them out. He singles out non-white people. He singles out non-white countries. He singles out non-European countries. This is codified racism without, without you know, being obviously blatantly racist. So let's give a listen. America, and to invite him to address the assembly. You have the floor, sir. Madam President, Mr. Secretary General, world leaders, ambassadors, and distinguished delegates, One year ago, I stood before you for the first time in this grand hall. I addressed the threats facing our world, and I presented a vision to achieve a brighter future for all of humanity. Today, I stand before the United Nations General Assembly to share the extraordinary progress we've made. In less than two years, my administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. America's so true. (laughs) Didn't expect that reaction, but that's okay. America's economy is booming like never before. Since my election, we have added $10 trillion in wealth. The stock market is at an all-time high in history, and jobless claims are at a 50-year low. African-American, Hispanic-American, and Asian-American unemployment have all achieved their lowest levels ever recorded. We've added more than 4 million new jobs, including half a million manufacturing jobs. 
we have passed the biggest tax cuts and reforms in American history. We've started the construction of a major border wall, and we have greatly strengthened border security. We have secured record funding for our military, $700 billion this year and $716 billion next year. Our military will soon be more powerful than it has ever been before. In other words, the United States is stronger, safer, and a richer country than it was when I assumed office less than two years ago. We are standing up for America and for the American people, and we are also standing up for the world. This is great news for our citizens and for peace-loving people everywhere. We believe that when nations respect the rights of their neighbors and defend the interests of their people, they can better work together to secure the blessings of safety, prosperity, and peace. Each of us here today is the emissary of a distinct culture, a rich history, and a people bound together by ties of memory, tradition, and the values that make our homelands like nowhere else on Earth. That is why America will always choose independence and cooperation over global governance, control, and domination. I honor the right of every nation in this room to pursue its own customs, beliefs, and traditions. The United States will not tell you how to live or work or worship. We only ask that you honor our sovereignty in return. From Warsaw to Brussels to Tokyo to Singapore, it has been my highest honor to represent the United States abroad. I have forged close relationships and friendships and strong partnerships with the leaders of many nations in this room, and our approach has always yielded incredible change. With support from many countries here today, we have engaged with North Korea to replace the specter of conflict with a bold and new push for peace. In June, I traveled to Singapore to meet face-to-face -face with North Korea's leader, Chairman Kim Jong-un. We had highly productive conversations and meetings, and we agreed that it was in both countries' interest to pursue the denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. Since that meeting, we have already seen a number of encouraging measures that few could have imagined only a short time ago. The missiles and rockets are no longer flying in every direction. Nuclear testing has stopped. Some military facilities are already being dismantled. Our hostages have been released, and as promised, the remains of our fallen heroes are being returned home to lay at rest in American soil. I would like to thank Chairman Kim for his courage and for the steps he has taken, though much work remains to be done. The sanctions will stay in place until denuclearization occurs. I also want to... Now, I, I want to stop it there. Now, 
<sighs> this might be longer than 15 minutes. I might have uh, miscalculated how long it was, but he just got through talking about, well, first of all, he come in being braggadocious about his administration has accomplished more than ever before. And, but he talks about other nations respecting our sovereignty, but then right away, he then he's talking about sanctions. We don't want them to have nuclear weapons. Granted, we we have uh, the most, the largest nuclear cache of weapons in the world and stuff, but you can't have them, you know, because you're not sovereign. You're going to do what we say or we're going to punish you. So contradictory, co- contradictory, uh, contradicting himself off the, off the gate. I want to thank the many member states who helped us reach this moment, a moment that is actually far greater than people would understand, far greater, but for also their support and the critical support that we will all need going forward. Special thanks to President Moon of South Korea, Prime Minister Abe of Japan, and President Xi of China. In the Middle East, our new approach is also yielding great strides and very historic change. Following my trip to Saudi Arabia last year, the Gulf countries opened a new center to target terrorist financing. They are enforcing new sanctions, working with us to identify and track terrorist networks and taking more responsibility for fighting terrorism and extremism in their own region. The UAE, Saudi Arabia, and Qatar have pledged billions of dollars to aid the people of Syria and Yemen, and they are pursuing multiple avenues to ending Yemen's horrible, horrific civil war. Ultimately, it is up to the nations of the region to decide what kind of future they want for themselves and their children. All right, I'm going to stop it there. Um, Yemen. Who, who's refueling the Saudi Arabian jets that's attacking the civilian population inside of, of Yemen? The U.S. is. Who's selling all the weaponry to Saudi Arabia to wage war on on the people of of Yemen. The United States is. So if, uh, you know, all just bump the BS, man. Just bump the BS. If you wanted that conflict to end, all you got to do is stop selling them weapons, but that's not something you're going to do because you're in the pockets of the war profiteers. And that's how, and, and you are counting on them people to fill your campaign coffers come 2020. Oh, this dude, look, I'm going to jump to an annotated version of this. Um, he, he's threatening vi- Venezuela. He also threatened Iran. So let me just find that. Okay, um, I really don't want to use um, this uh, one from Fox Business News because I know they chopped it up, and, uh, man, I just don't want to. Um, anyway, um I mean, basically threatening the world, talking about how much we didn't spend on on the military, and we bigger and better than ever before. Um, he talked about, and y'all could look this speech up on YouTube. You can find the full speech because it looks like it might be a, um, almost an hour long. 
and I just don't have time for that. But any anyway, he threatens Iran, he threatens Venezuela, he he talks about socialism being the enemy and capitalism being the savior and all this and that. But he talks about the poverty in Venezuela, but he don't talk about how the United States worked with Saudi Arabia to increase oil output because that's what Venezuela's main export is and how they were funding the programs to help their poor and to keep price controls in place and keep things affordable. Um, he, he doesn't tell that part. He just said, oh, it, it just doesn't work. Socialism doesn't work. But look, it, it, Cuba has survived all these years under economic embargo because again you don't respect their sovereignty you don't respect the will of the people that was expressed in the revolution in 1959 okay so it's just man oh this guy makes me sick man everything that he represents is just disgusting and he's just a straight up liar but John Bolton who is a straight up neocon a, a war hawk who's never ever served in the U.S. military at all is talking about again. Keep this in mind. He's talking about they're talking about respecting other countries' sovereignty. Now he's saying the U.S. will keep a military presence in Syria until Iran withdraws its forces. A top Trump administration official said Monday, "We're not going to leave as long as Iranian troops are outside Iranian borders, and that includes Iranian proxies and militia." Militias, White House National Security Advisor John Bolton said while in New York for the U.N. General Assembly. The pledge comes as 2,200 U.S. troops serve in Syria, nearly all of them devoted to the war against the Islamic State in the eastern third of the country. While Bolton and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo have said Iran poses the bigger strategic threat, U.S. military the U.S. military leaders have emphasized that Iran is not their main focus. So, you know, we get mixed messages from the U.S. government. They don't appear to be on the same page. Somebody, um, you know, didn't get the memo or something. Defense Secretary Jim Mattis, in a gathering with reporters at Pentagon Monday, repeatedly asserted that Bolton's comments reflected no change in policy and that the Pentagon was on the same page as the White House on what the role for U.S. forces would be in Syria. As part of this overarching problem, we have to address Iran, Mattis said, and where you go in the Middle East where there's instability, you will find Iran. Okay, I'm going to stop it there. Look, man, who has a hundred, who has U.S. base, who has bases, military bases in over 180 countries on this, on this planet? But you got the nerve to try to dictate to Iran, who was invited into Syria, their ally, and you are illegally, under international law, occupying Syrian soil, not respecting their sovereignty, and you got the nerve to say, well, we'll be there until Iran leaves. Give me a break, man. This is, again, what Malcolm X was talking about. White racists. And what I call proxy racists because, you know, they are involved too and what have you. So things are are, are heating up. Donald Trump got laughed at. Uh, he also talked about using money. He he basically sounded like a mob boss, really. Um, there was one section of the speech where he was talking about our friends and, and talking about cutting off USA to countries 
who don't toe the line that the U.S. wants them to toe the line, saying we, you know, we give more aid than anybody else, and we're going to stop giving this aid and only give it to our friends or whatnot. So, so again. You're not respecting other nations' right to self-determination. You're not respecting their sovereignty. And you're basically admitting that you bribed these nations to toe the U.S. uh, geopolitical line. This is the biggest hypocritical country on the face of the planet. And he talks about spreading freedom and, and democracy and what have you. This is a nation that's still legally practicing slavery that's codified in their constitution. And you want to talk about freedom and democracy. And as Max said earlier, tomorrow night on New Abolitionist Radio, he's going to go into how it disenfranchises its own citizens. These the last damn people on the face of the planet to be trying to lecture somebody else. Just really disgusting. This is the country that we live in. And it's got to change, folks. It's got to change. All right. Um, I'm going to go ahead and end the program uh, right here. I won't be back on air with BTR News until Thursday. God willing, nothing happens. Uh, but you can catch me tomorrow night on New Abolitionist Radio along with Max Parthas and other abolitionists as we do every Wednesday night on the Black Talk Radio Network. Again, that's 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Listen, folks. The world is unstable, and the United States has a lot to do with that instability. And we could be entering into World War III. That could be right there on the horizon. I can't say anything for sure, but I can say this for sure. You want to be prepared. You want to be prepared. It's not only an economic trade war that's happening right now, but then there's a shooting war that's on the Horizon. I hope none of your children end up being cannon fodder for these maniacs, sociopaths. <sighs> that said, recognize the fact we live behind the enemy lines of USA Inc. Be codified because they're practicing slavery. They're always looking for new slaves. You don't want to be one of them. Don't get caught up in it. Help uh, join the new abolitionist movement to end slavery in this country and press for a better world. Peace and blessings to all.